Um, we're in our series called Well, if you want to take out your notes. We just have a couple weeks left um, where before we move on to a new series. And um, this, this series has been centered around this idea that Jesus didn't come to make good people just a little bit better. He didn't come to just tweak our lives and just make us feel a little bit better about ourselves or whatever. Um, Jesus came uh, to make blind people see and, and lame people walk and deaf people hear and broken people to become whole. He came so that dead people um, like me and you who are spiritually dead in our lives could, could, could have eternal life and our best life here on this earth. And that's what this series has been digging into is, is what does that look like and how does God want to see that come about in our lives? And, and, um, and this week we're going to talk about this idea of, of, of stop beating yourself up. How many of you are good at beating yourself up? Anybody just want to admit it? Yeah. I'm the, I'm the king of that. A few weeks ago in a restaurant in, uh, in Mesula, M-E-S-U-L-A. Anybody from Montana? Mesula. Thank you. Woo! That's not, I, I, I was just guessing on how to spell it. Well, yeah. Missoula, Montana. There's, there's a restaurant called the Montana Club there. Uh, anybody been to it? Anybody been to Montana? Anybody been to Missoula, Montana? Okay, there's a couple have been there. Alright. And so, look, I'm just brutalizing this illustration, but it's really good. Because this Montana Club does a really cool promotion on your birthday. Whenever you eat there on your birthday, they give you the percentage off um, that you're turning that day. And so if you're turning 50 or 60 or 70 or 20, they give you that percentage off on your meal. Well, a few, about a month ago, there was a, a, a I'll call her a young lady by the name of Helen Self. This is actually a picture of Helen. Um, anybody want to guess how old Helen is in this picture? Helen started eating at the Montana Club when she was 100 for her birthday. In this picture, she's 109. Can you believe that? So they paid her to eat at the restaurant. She came in, and for the last 10 years, or 9 years, she came in on her 100th birthday, and they gave her her meal for free. They came, she came back the next year, and she said, I'm 101, so I get 101% off. And so the waiter came out with like a dollar twenty and gave it to her because that's what her meal. I don't remember how much it was, but but this last time she got nine percent in cash back. And every time she eats there, she gets the same thing. She gets a salad, a baked potato, and pond shrimp and coleslaw. And she gets that every single year on her birthday. How crazy is that? Isn't that cool? That a restaurant is paying this young woman to eat at their restaurant every single year on her birthday. A hundred and nine. What a country that we live in, huh? Um, here's what's cool. When I, when I read this story, this, I know it's out there, but maybe it's just because it's about food or whatever. But, but this, this story reminded me how, how incredible God's grace is. And the way, the way that I, I thought about it is this, is that He just doesn't give us grace, but He lavishes grace on us. He just doesn't give it to us one time, but He gives us an incredible amount of grace over and over and over again. John 3.16 is probably a verse many of us have memorized. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you read that verse, what you understand is that Jesus paid for us. Right? 
so that we could experience forgiveness. But He goes even beyond that in just giving us grace. He goes a step further and He's given us other things that He lavishes in our lives. Things like His Word that teaches us and challenges us and changes us. The the Word says that He gives us His Holy Spirit. That when we become a follower is that His very Spirit resides inside of us and, and encourages us and empowers us to live for Him. So He lavishes these things. He gives us the church. A fellowship of brothers and sisters who are, who are supposed to come alongside and, and be our shoulders, you know, when, when we need encouragement and we need someone to walk beside us, they, they're, they're there to, to, to help us in our times of need and, and inspire us and to spur us on. He gives us prayer. And He gives us these things every single day. It's not just lunch, but it's cash back on top of it. He says, I'm just not giving you a one-time thing but I'm giving you something above and beyond. It's His grace. It's His grace. And it's for us. When we get this grace and we understand it and we capture it, it really helps us to get well internally. But here's the problem. It literally sickens our body, our spiritual lives, our relationships with others when we refuse to walk in that grace or to extend that grace to ourselves. It sickens our bodies. Have you ever felt that before? That you beat yourself up so much about a choice or decision or a thing that you did that it literally eats you up inside. That's what we're talking about today. Look, there are two extremes that we face when we talk about God's grace. The first one is this. The two extremes is this, is, is the one side of the extreme is the people who, who don't think they need it at all, right? They're the people that say, hey, I'm just a good person. I'm okay. I don't need forgiveness. I'm good just as I am. You know, I'm a good guy. I'm a good lady. And so I'm just going to live my life. That's one side of this extreme of God's grace. The other side are those who feel that God's grace is not enough. And for some of us, even though we understand what Jesus did for us, It's hard for us to believe that He willingly and freely forgives us of everything that we've ever done. You say, well, Jared, you don't don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't. You don't understand what I've done. And for people who say, but Jared, you don't get it. You don't understand. I say, no, 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 no. You don't understand what God has done. You don't understand what He is offering. There's a verse um, in 1 John that, that talks about these two extremes. It's 1 John 1, 8 and 9. This is what it says. Is this, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. That's the one side, right? The one extreme. If we claim that we're perfect, we have no sin, he's just like, hey, 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 come on now. Let's just be honest. We all sin. We all fall short, right? You're not living in truth if you say that you have no sin. And then he says, but... If we confess our sins to Him. Now read the bold part with me. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So let the power of that wash over you for a second. It, what this verse is saying is no matter what you've done and no matter how long you've been doing it, God's grace is greater than all our sin. 
Now that's hard for us to fully embrace. It's hard for us to forgive our sins because we're so good at beating ourselves up. As I was preparing this message, I thought about a time in high school where I was really struggling with this idea of forgiveness and grace. And I remember, I, I remember a conversation I was having with God as I was getting ready to go to bed. I was praying and I said, I was, I don't even remember what it was about. I don't remember what I did. I just remember that prayer while I was praying to God. I said, God, just forgive me. Lord, please forgive me. I know I've been praying this for days, for weeks, for months. God, please forgive me for what... I know you remember what I did when I did dot, dot, dot. And I don't even remember what I did that created such shame inside of me. But I was just calling out to God. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You know what I did. And, and all of a sudden, it's like I was hearing the voice of God in my, in my head saying, No, Jared, I don't know what you did. Because I forgave it a long time ago. You're you're bringing something up that I have chosen to forget. I've chosen to let it go. I've covered it with my grace. You're bringing up some old thing that I choose to have no recollection of. You have been forgiven. I don't remember. But my shame wouldn't let me let it go. Why is this a big deal? When we let shame in us and we start to beat ourselves up. Here's a couple things. Are you ready? First one is this. When we throw stones at ourselves, that's a mental picture that I had is where we pick up stones. Instead of stoning someone else, we stone ourselves. We fail to live by what we believe. To a friend, we'll say something like, God will forgive you. If you'll just confess your sin, God will forgive you. There's nothing that you can do that God can't forgive. But do we really buy into that when we're talking about ourselves? We say God can forgive everything, but do we truly believe it when we talk about our own sin and letting go and stop beating ourselves up about the things that we've done? Here's another thing, is that we feed the shame cycle. This is a big deal for me. Shame just kills me in my life. It sabotages me. And you know how it is. When I fail, I'm my worst enemy, right? And I feed that cycle. I go into a cave. I pull away from God. I pull away from other people. And the more that I think about it, and the more I sulk on it, the more I dig in, and the further into the cave I go, does this remind anybody of themselves? And I just pull further and further and further from God, from my family, from people around me. And when I when I choose not to forgive myself, I feed that. We just feed it and it gets worse and worse and worse. Here's another one. Is that we play into the enemy's hands. The name Satan, does anybody know what that name means? It means accuser. He's the accuser. That's what his name means. So, so when we confess to God and he has forgiven you, for some reason that echoes into your life over and over and over again. And we begin to beat ourselves up about it, right? And if Satan can't get us to actively join his team, then he'll just settle us, settle on getting us to live a defeated life. He says, I, I can't get you to work for me, so I'll just get you to not work at all. I'll just get you to be, live a defeated life. Here, here's the deal. Christ didn't die so that you would live in your past. He didn't. He died to give you a new life, a brand new start, a fresh outlook on life, to have life and have it to the fullest. The scripture says that we are more than conquerors for those who are in Christ Jesus through God who loved us. God has a future for you. 
And when we live in that shame cycle, when we, when we throw stones at ourselves, we, we play into the enemy's hands. Here's the last one. Are you ready? We excuse ourselves from being used by God. We say this. We say, you know what, God? God can't use me. God can't use me. We feel God tugging at our heart to step up and to do something for Him. And then all of a sudden, that voice starts playing in our head and we say things, you know, I, I can't do that. I'm not worthy of that. I, 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 I am like this, and because I'm like this, God can't use someone like me. And we kill our future by always looking and living in our past. We excuse ourselves from the work and from the power of God living in our lives because we focus on who we used to be and not who God is empowering us to be. Amen? So how do we embrace this grace of God and what he wants to do what he wants to do in us and through us? It's a good question. So here's a couple things. Are you ready? The first one is this. Is we have to stop treating our sin, your sin, as special. We have to stop treating it as special. Look at me. Now your mother lied to you, okay? Just went throw this all out there. Your mom lied to you. You're not special. You're not. I know she told you that you were special, but but you're not when it comes to sin. When it comes to sin, you're not special. The reality is this, is that no matter what you've done in your past and in your life, your sin is not unique to you. It's not. You live on a planet full of a lot of folks who have done dumb stuff just like you've done. Right? It's not special. So stop treating it that way. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Look, say the bold parts with me. For, whoo, say that one more time. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace, are you ready? Freely makes this right in His sight. Say it with me. He did this through Christ Jesus. Not through you. You hear it? Not through you. God didn't forgive you because you beat yourself up enough. That's not the reason He forgave you. Christ died on the cross so that you didn't have to kill yourself over your sin. He died in our place. Amen? On Sunday mornings, sometimes we look around. We look around this room and say, man, I, I don't know if you say this or not, but sometimes I have. Man, I wish that I lived a perfect life. I wish I had a life as good as dot, dot, dot sitting here around me. Anybody thought, you don't have to raise your hand, but you ever thought that way before? Can I just tell you a secret? These people are just as messed up as you are. Now, not me, but these people. (laughs) I'm just kidding, me too. Amen? Me too. Amen. Just as messed up. Listen, I know you've heard this before, and it's a great saying, and it's so true. It's all level ground. Say it with me. At the foot of the cross, it's all level ground. We're all on the same playing field. It's all level ground at the foot of the cross. We're all in the same spot. We're all in the same place. We're all in need of the same Savior. We're all fallen people changed by God. You know the beautiful thing? Is that the Bible 
is full of a bunch of messed up people. I saw this meme this week. Can you throw it up there, Maquace? It says, Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. Anybody have a temper in the room? Just the maybe? David had an affair. I'm not going to ask that question. Noah got, Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. Now, how many of you can be included in on that list? Yeah, me too. Me too. And here's the beautiful thing. Are you ready? God's grace was sufficient for all of them. For every single one. God's grace was sufficient for them. And can I tell you something else? God's grace is sufficient for everyone in this room. And can I tell you something better? God's grace is sufficient for you. And if you came in with some guilt this morning, we just need to pull a frozen and just let it go. I would start singing it, but I always get the tune wrong. You just let it go. Because when you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven. Punishing ourselves for our sin is saying that Jesus' death was not enough. Let that settle in real deep. When I beat myself for my sin, I'm saying to Jesus, you didn't do it right. So I'm going to do it for you. How crazy is that? Here's a second thought. Are you ready? We have to embrace the reality that you will need a continual work of God's grace in your life. Now, how many of you would be willing to admit that we're in church is a great place to confess that after you became a follower of Jesus and you confessed your need for a Savior um, and you accepted His grace, how many of you found out that, that you needed some grace after that as well? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, me too. And if you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar and you need to raise your hand now. Because we all need it. It's, we all need it. It's a continual work of God's grace in our lives. It's, it's not just letting go of stones of things that we've done in our past, but it's choosing not to pick them up as we stumble forward in life. Because we're all going to fall at some point. And God's grace is even sufficient then. There's a really weird story about a woman by the name of Sarah Winchester. Anybody recognize her name? Have any of you been to the Winchester house in San Jose, California? This is a really cool story. Sarah Winchester was married to William Art Winchester. If you're recognizing the last name, who was the son of Oliver Winchester, who founded, I want to get this right, the Winchester Repeating Arms Company in the late 1800s. And let's just say they made a little bit of money because guns are popular in the United States of America, even back then. And um, when Oliver and William both died in 1881, um, he left Sarah, get this, $20 million in the late 1800s. Now that's equivalent, now $20 million, it's a lot of money today, but the equivalency is somewhere around $500 million in today's term of money, right? Let's just say, that's a lot of cash. And not only that, she was a partner in... Um, in the in the in the in the Winchester company moving forward, and she got a stipend of twenty five thousand dollars 
a day as a partner of this company. Now think of that type of money in the late 1800s, early 1900s. That's a lot of cheddar, right? When her husband died, they had also had a daughter. And when the daughter was an infant, she died also. The the dad died of tuberculosis and she had a, a baby daughter that died also. And so she was an emotional wreck, let's just say, right? And she was also a very superstitious woman. And so she visited, she was living in Connecticut, and she visited a medium to ask her, what, why did this happen to her? What did she do to deserve this? And this medium came back to her and said, well, the reason all this bad stuff has, has fallen upon you, it's because of all the people that have died by the guns that you've made and their spirits are oppressing you. And she bought it. She bought that. And so, so she said, she asked the medium, what should I do? And she said, well, you need to build and to buy, buy and build a really big house that can house the spirits of these dead people. And when you do that, they'll leave you in peace and you'll live a long, happy life. And so she left Connecticut and moved out west, I think to somewhere around the San Jose, California area, where, where she started building what's called the Winchester House. Now get this. She bought a a farmhouse with six bedrooms and she began to build on it without any kind of plan of what it would look like. And over the years, as Sarah lived, it started to look like this. This is the house. It's called the Winchester house. 161 rooms. Go to the next picture. It shows the front of the house or another side view. 161 rooms. And here's the thing is that the room is that the house is just really weird. Because there are, she built the rooms on top of rooms without thinking about what she was building. And so there are staircases that just go up to the ceiling. And there are second floor rooms that have doors that just go outside and drop into nothing. There are rooms that have windows that look into other rooms. It's just a really weird stacked on top of type house. Because she was told, and what she believed was, as long as she had all these rooms, these spirits couldn't bother her, and they could live wherever they wanted to in this house, but they wouldn't oppress her. And then she died. The construction on this home went day and night her whole life. Every single hour, there was a carpenter or a team of people that were building on this house. Every single day, day in, day out, every evening, every night, someone was always adding to this house so that, so that she could live a long life until she died. And then construction stopped. Like that. They say if you go through the house, that they actually have left hammers and nails that are like half driven into boards where the workers who knew that they weren't getting paid anything else just put their stuff down and walked off the job because Sarah had passed away. Now, what's crazy about this story is that it's like us. You have to reach with me a little bit in this way. When we become followers of Jesus, construction begins in our life. And guess when it ends? The day we die. Until then, we're all a work in progress. Philippians 1.6 says this. It says, I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in His grace until His task within you is finally finished. When? On that day when Jesus Christ returns. 
People ask me, Jared, when will I get my life together? Ever thought that? When will I get my life together? And the answer is, when you die. When you die. Until then, we're all under construction. Now, tomorrow may not be as bad as today. There's an element of growth happening here, but we never reach perfection here on this earth. Here's my hope, is that when you leave here today, that you will have accepted and understood and and been overwhelmed by the grace of God to the point where you understand that you need it every day of your life. And it's a continual work that God continues in your life until you take your last breath. Here's a third thought. Don't let your failures torment you, but do let them teach you. Don't let your failures torment you, but do let them teach you. Here's, you're going to make mistakes. But can I just suggest, now this is a tough one because we struggle, is that we should be making new mistakes. Not the same ones over and over and over again. When we suffer the consequences of our sin, we have to deal with our failure, right? And maybe we should start thinking, I shouldn't do that again. Maybe, just maybe. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that again. I've read this quote, I heard this quote this last week, that grace is a wonderful gift of God, but wisdom is an even more wonderful gift from God. Because wisdom keeps us from doing the same thing over and over and over again. A, a guy by the name of Nigel Graham, this is a picture of Nigel, he lives in Southbourne, England. He was an osteopath. Um, it's an osteopath in England is something kind of like a, a chiropractor today, like healthy, um, different ways of getting well. Um, and so his license was suspended um, because of, get this, because of gross misuse of handicap stickers. Using handicap stickers in England when you're not handicapped is a serious, serious, serious offense. And 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 because he was a doctor, his peers and the board that oversaw his license thought it was such a, a gross misuse of health and abuse that they suspended his license for a year. But the thing is, is that Nigel, even during that year of his suspension and paying his fine, he continued to call himself an osteopath, so he continued to practice, and get this, he continued to park in handicapped parking signs, parking spaces by using his mother's handicapped parking tech. Get this, she had been dead for years. Years. And during that year, when it was found out that he was still using her tag, they took it away from him. So guess what he did next? He grabbed his father's tag, who had been dead for 12 years. And he said, well, I was just running errands for my dad. That was the, 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 the excuse that he was using for using his father's tag, who had been dead for 12 years. So let's just say that when he got taken to court a second time, he was sentenced to 16 weeks in prison and fined, and his license was taken away from him permanently. Now get this. The day that he was in court getting this new second sentence for 16 weeks of prison, guess where he parked? In a handicapped parking spot. Are you kidding me? Now we say that life is like um, like a spiritual test, you know, a, a spiritual a test. It's an intelligence test. And this guy is flunking, right? Amen? We have to give ourselves some grace. Because I'm a human, and so are you. 
and we've made some mistakes and we'll probably make some more. And I have failed God in the past, and so will you. And the odds are is in the future I'm going to fail him too. But but what our hope is, is that we won't just continue to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. That we'll use the wisdom that God gives us to learn from those mistakes and to keep making, to walk differently in our life moving forward. Here's the last thought. We're going to end with this. Is that we have to claim Christ's work as a finished work. In the book of Leviticus, there's a great story in chapter 9 of when God um, had given the prescription to Moses and Aaron on how to offer the sacrifice of forgiveness on behalf of the people. So you need the context a little bit. They've, they're, they've set up a temporary tabernacle and, um, and Moses has given the instructions to Aaron on how to offer the sacrifice for forgiveness for cleansing the people. And Aaron goes into the Holy of Holies and he meticulously follows the steps and the instructions and he offers the sacrifice. And the, the scripture says the people of God are standing outside waiting to see what's going to happen. And, and after he comes out, he, he offers the sacrifice in front of, on behalf of the sins of the people. And, and the scripture says that he raises his hands and as, as, and extends them over the people in a form of, of Jewish blessing. And he blessed the people uh, so that their sins would be forgiven. And then the scripture says that he stepped down from the altar. And as he stepped down from the altar, a fire from heaven came and burned up the sacrifice that was on the altar. And the people immediately fell down and worshiped the Lord. It says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and filled the place and the people were in awe. And every year since then, the same thing would take place. Aaron or the, whatever high priest would come and he would stand before the people and he would offer the sacrifice of forgiveness of sins and he would raise his hands and offer a blessing over the people and then the fire of God would burn up the sacrifice. And then comes Jesus. Are you ready? And as Jesus is is hanging on the cross, he says, I am thirsty. You remember this? The scripture says that they took a, a sponge soaked in vinegar and they placed it to his mouth and he drank it. And it says this, and when Jesus had tasted it, he said, say it with me, it is finished. The scripture says, then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now this term, it is finished, literally means paid in full. What Jesus is saying here is that there's no more need for high priests. It's been paid in full. No more lambs have to die. It's been paid in full. There's no more blood sacrifice is necessary because it is paid in in full. Christ paid it all. And we can't add anything to the price He paid. So stop trying. It's paid in full. It was enough for everyone in this room. It's enough for everyone throughout history. And it's enough for you. If you came in this morning and you've never admitted your sin to God, then confess it. 
And if you have, then claim him. Claim him. He gave his life so that you didn't have to give yours. So that you can have a brand new start at life. If you've been beating yourself up, it's time to let down, let go of the stones and claim it as finished. Because it is. Jesus paid it all. So stop beating yourself up.